What's your favourite punctuation mark? Ha. <laughs> I don't know whether it's the favourite, but um, I use far too often a dash. Right. And oh, it's a very poetic mark, isn't it? It is very, yeah. And I have learned recently there's a difference between M dashes and N dashes. Certainly there is. And an M dash is the one that I like. Welcome to Ears Wide Open, uh, the podcast that is a project of the Open Book at 201 Ponsonby Road in Auckland. If you do not make it here to Auckland, you can mail order books from the Open Book. Have a look on our website for my book bag. Um, I'm Anna Livesey, the curator at large at the Open Book, and tonight I have got Tim Heath with me, who is a performance poet mm-hmm. and an about-to-be-published book poet. <laughs> If we could say that, and a local, is that right? Yes, Graylin, long-term. Long-term Graylin resident. They let him out sometimes to come <laughs> over here to Ponsonby. <laughs> so it's such a pleasure to have you here, Tim. Welcome. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. First thing that you're going to do is read us a poem, and then we will have a chat, and then at the end you'll read us another poem. Right, right, thank you. In fact, he's not going to read, he knows it by heart. He's going to recite, (laughs) declaim or perform it for you here. At this point, he believes he knows it by heart. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do another take if we have to. (laughs) All right, thank you for inviting me along. This is is lovely, lovely environment. Um, You mentioned children a couple of times, which made me think, well, I'll do a child poem, which, of course, in my case, being of more senior years, is about grandchildren. So it's a grandchildren poem. And um, it's called it, it's called a small day out. Sounds amazing. Yesterday I walked on Kariotahi Beach with five of my grandchildren. Wind sweep and surf roar sent their words and laughter. Gulls circling around my head, half heard but clinging like the gusted sand on my lips. They. Puppy tracked around my steady plod, enviable energy unfocused, until the discovery splayed on the sand of a plait of kelp. They grabbed it and dragged it, not with the ocean's rock-tearing violence, just the soft disregard of small hands. They made up stories about the kelp, full of sound and nonsense, the bleached beached wig of a marine princess, the remains of a mermaid and her dragon, a snake tangle, not dead, just waiting. Their shrill inventions climbed and soared over each other, but were lost in a blink with the finding of a dead fish. Its horror of eye socket and stench, triggering a new round of finger-dancing excitement and tumbling words, and giving me another glimpse of just how brightly the stars might shine. That is fantastic. And I'm going to say um, a little Heaney-esque. Okay. Not I now. I've seen Seamus Heaney read twice before he obviously before he died, and I had a terrible urge to just snuggle up on his lap both times and have oh. him speak to me until <laughs> I fell asleep. And I'm so I'm just restraining myself from this. 
Um, yeah, it's lovely. But it's beautiful, and it's beautiful to hear them in your voice. So um, you sent me a manuscript, which yeah. is going to be published soon. Do you Surely. want to just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it, it is basically cobbling together stuff that I've done over recent years. Um, it's being published by a new publishing firm called Unoya Publications. They happen to be friends of mine. So, so the border between self-publishing and publishing, it's always a bit blurred these days, isn't mm. it? So we're doing that together. Um, and, and it's been a really interesting exercise for me because I've... I write poetry whenever I feel like it and sometimes when I don't. And, and uh, you know, pile them in a drawer or keep some of them or lose them on the computer. And to get material organised and to get it in a shape that I felt happy with, because often when I write a poem and I think, you know... Well, initially I think it's wonderful, you know, but 24 hours later I get real, you know, I get real. <laughs> yeah. And, and just to go over this stuff and... and bash it into a better shape and make sure that there's consistency of punctuation if there is punctuation, all those sort of things. What's and your favourite punctuation, Mark? Huh. <laughs> I don't know whether it's the favourite, but um, I use far too often a dash. Right. And oh, it's a very poetic Mark, isn't it? It is very, yeah. And I have learned recently there's a difference between M dashes and N dashes. Certainly there is. And an M dash is the one that I like. Yes, and yes. an M dash is long, like an M is two spaces, and an N dash is short, like an N is That's only half of an N dash. Yes, and yes, I'm yes. absolutely with you. That there's nothing worse than an N dash in a poem, and few things more beautiful than a well-placed M dash. And I think this is what makes us poets, right? <laughs> right. We yes. feel that these things yes. are important. Yes. 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 Okay, and what's it called? And where would the where would the listeners get one if they wanted one? Uh, the book is called Not As The Crow Flies, mm-hmm. in, in reference to my meandering. And it will be printed in about a month, all going well. And then through Yanoia will distribute to most bookshops. We might put a link to it on our website. Why not? Well, that would be lovely. We that will would, do that. that. Would, that we would, will do that. That would be great. Yeah. So, Tim, I read the manuscript and I really enjoyed reading it. And it struck me that your poetry is a kind of plain speaking. It is very much direct from your heart to the reader's heart, I -hmm. felt. And so I wondered, first of all, if that's how you think of it. And secondly, if it is about that communication, what draws you to poetry rather than to, say, an essay or prose of some kind? Right, right. The, the direct speaking part of it, I mean, I, I have I have great desire for poetry to be simple. And I, and I think, you know, because I've been thinking about it, seeing you were kind enough to send me the questions, I remember stuff at school and, and wading through obscurities in poems and this, this sort of exclusive intellectualism of references to classical happenings and all the rest of it. And, and I know when I became interested in writing poetry, I wanted whatever it was I wanted to say to be comprehensible and fairly directly comprehensible. I, I it's find a generous impulse, mm? I think. It's a generous impulse, an inclusive impulse. Well, I hope so. I hope so. And, I mean, sometimes I find myself being a bit of a smarty pants and then, you know, sort of putting in some reference to something, which I've done in... There's only one poem that I've really done that and I've left it in and it's a reference to... to um, 
D.H. Lawrence's poem, The Snake, mm -hmm. and it's about a snake. Mm -hmm. And I say in the end of it, there has been no pettiness. And mm -hmm. he talked in that poem, you know. And I think, well, some people will know that, and I know it, but why do it anyway? Um, no, I, I, I want to speak to people about things... <laughs> he keeps thumping his hand on the table, listeners, and now I'm clutching it. It's maybe what he's aiming for, I'm not sure. These are the thumps that you can hear. I should have warned him beforehand. <laughs> May the interview proceed. That's right. <laughs> Along these lines. Um, yeah, so yeah, I want to communicate with people. That, that, that's simply it. And I suppose because I've drifted into a lot of um, performance stuff, and a lot of things through that wonderful, wonderful organisation or lack of organisation called Poetry Live, which is a weekly poetry event in Auckland, held every Tuesday night in the Thirsty Dog Hotel in, in Ponsonby Road, and it has lurched on for 35 years in Auckland, and it's great. And that's an opportunity to stand up and, and perform your poetry in front of other people. And I love the feeling, I don't know if it's egotistical or not, of being in front of an audience and believing that they're hearing what I'm saying and it's touching something. That's kind of the reason Only for connect. doing it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. in fact, you're an award-winning performance poet, so you've got some justification for believing people are picking up what you are uh, putting down. Yeah, I've been a show-off for a long time. That <laughs> makes two of us. Yeah. Now, now you, you went on the second part of your question to say mm. why, you know, why, why poetry? Why poetry rather than essays? Um and, of course, the quick glib answer is because poems are shorter. Well, that's what I would yeah. say. Poetry <laughs> is for the lazy, the indolent, and, yeah. the, and those that, with no that, time. I mean, that, heavens, well, that's it's right. not hard work. And, and it's not. And if you were to stand up in a public place and read an essay, you may not get a lot of people. Um, you can stand up in a public place with a poem and possibly get people. Uh, and I think that's important. Mm. Uh, but I, I also see the reason for your, your, your thing. I mean, I, I write something and it could have been an essay or maybe I'm just writing mini essays and mm. calling them poetry. Um, uh, I don't know. An essay, of course, being an attempt, which I think, you yes. know, literally an attempt. Yes. And I think yep. poems are sort of attempts to communicate they, they, they essays are. into the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. and they, they are. And, I mean, how many... You attempt to communicate, and if it's with a, you reach a percentage of the people, then that's just that's mm. brain. Yeah. So, in your collection, I noticed it's divided into different categories, yep. um, and one of them is performance poems. So, yes. I was really interested to know about the writing process and the and the process of um, recognizing something as a performance mm. poem as opposed mm. to a poem for the page. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I've deliberately set out to write a performance poem, or or an idea has come to me and I've thought that could be, you know, a stand-up stage on stage and make loud noises type poem. Or I think that might be just a more quiet sit-in-the-corner poem. Then some, sometimes that realisation comes after I've written it. And then sometimes I'll have something that I've written and I think that could be a performance poem and I twiddle with it to try and do that. Also, in Poetry Slams, that odd beast, the Poetry Slam, you know, competitive poetry, goodness me, there's usually a time limit of three minutes. So there's something about doctoring the poem so that you fit the three minutes and, and, and some things won't, you know. A lot of the poems that I've written that I like are probably only 30 seconds. It's 
really yeah. lazy. Those are the really lazy they're cows. They're really... <laughs> they're, 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 they're barely even there. Well, I don't know if they are lazy. They're getting it out of the way so I can get on with proper things, mm. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me about the first time you ever performed a poem. What was that like? And how did you decide that this was a thing you were going to try? Again, thank you for the question because it triggered thinking and and it immediately came to me. The first time I performed a poem was when I was about nine years old and I was a boy scout. We've got an incorrigible case here. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. And and there was a concert and I, you know, everybody had to do something and I said, heaven knows why, I'll do a poem. Um, And... Um, I can't remember whether it was something I wrote or whether it was something I got from somewhere else. And all I remember of it um, are three lines which went, I hit him on the nose and down he goes where the water flows. That makes me suspect that I wrote it. (laughs) But what I remember was that standing there a bit nervously on the stage with this collection of parents and whatever... And people, despite my nervousness, laughing and applauding and stamping their feet. And I, and I thought, oh, yeah, oh, oh, I thought that was quite good. <laughs> so that's my first memory. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. great. And how long was it before you came back to it? So when did you begin to establish yourself or think of yourself as Tim Heath, the performance poet? Ah, oh, um, that creature's only about 12 years old. <laughs> yeah. And in other words, I've spent as one does, a lifetime of of working and um, raising kids and paying mortgages. and Blessed were the days in which one had the gift of paying a mortgage. Yes, <laughs> yeah, 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 indeed, indeed. And, and renov- house renovation, that was the other. And, and, I mean, some of that was, well, that's what we did and well, was really involved um, and, and didn't give my time, myself time to write. But I know it always nagged at me. I did. I was a teacher, um, and I did end up being a school principal. And I found that the time of the week I enjoyed most was when I was writing the school newsletter. Um, and I developed a little following of school newsletter readers, and I sort of pop in funnies for them and things like that. And, and it, it made me think, you know, am I really, am I really on the right canoe? Should I swap? And so, what was there something specific that then called you back to poetry? Um, I I stopped teaching um, when I was sixty. Um, 15 years ago. Um, oh my God. I tell you, he's remarkably sprightly, 89. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, Sorry, did my maths let me down? <laughs> and I had a brief moment of thinking, what shall I do? You know, which, you know, that moment was filled up in about 10 seconds later. But I thought, I really, really want um, to explore writing. And I went to a short story writing course. Um, and despite the fact that it was run by a gentleman who had some personality problems, um, and who shall remain nameless, shall remain unnamed. Could be my next interview. Subject. It could be. It could be. Yes. 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 Uh, all, uh, <laughs> but I, I love. I loved it. You know. And 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 I thought. Yeah. And and I really started then to write short stories. I thought this is my thing. Um, and then almost, no, not by default. I thought I'd have a look at poetry. 
and went to a course with with a wonderful poet and teacher who will be named Siobhan Harvey, mm. and and really enjoyed that. Um, and then she mentioned this poetry live thing, and I started going to that, and then I was hooked. And um, that that really since then has been, yeah, every every free moment and some that are not really free. <laughs> yeah. Dedicated to poetry. I'm hoping to get a T-shirt made one of these days that says, Poetry Made Me Late. Yes. Perhaps yes. you could get one as well. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know when it's made. This is not a pipe dream because Hayden, the proprietor of yeah. this bookshop, is also the proprietor of a very boutique T-shirt company called ah. the Oblong T-shirt Company where right. I do have standing orders for various different yes. T-shirts and yes. one of them is yes. Poetry Made Me Late, which... I was yeah. late for an important meeting at work the other day yes, because yes. I was writing a poem. Yes. Ah, I stopped. Yes. I stopped in Britomar on the bench to finish my poem. Yes, yes. I hope no one from work is listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I probably said it was my child. Um, so there's a section called Political Poems. And what is the point of a political poem? Sometimes I get fired up about something and I think that's not right. Um, and, and I want to... You know, express my thoughts about that. I mean, it is not easy to, it is not difficult to uncover in injustice and wrongdoing in our society and world. And there's many things. Even here in Ponsonby and Greyland. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. But I also suppose that when I was trying to organise things for this book and I decided to put them into sections, it's sort of, there was a whole group of them I thought, well, I'm grinding some political acts here, so I'll call them political poems. And then I thought, well, is it even possible to write an unpolitical poem in this day and age? Yes, no, maybe. Everything is, is a bit politicised, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. you bring yourself into it and the stance yeah. you have in the world Yeah, yeah. sees something. <clears throat> so if I look at a poem like the one I blurted before about taking kids to the beach... Is that political? I don't know. I guess you could say, well, there's something there about valuing nature and valuing childhood and yep. valuing freedom and valuing creativity yep. that one might feel some of those things are under attack in some parts of the world, you know, in the political mm. process, and mm. it's sort of yeah. a statement of the sure. value of those sure. things. Sure. Um, <laughs> and that we are so incredibly lucky that we can just go and walk on a beach. It's a miracle. It it, is. It, we are so yeah. blessed. Yeah, yeah, it's yes. just... Fantastic. So I was really fascinated by the poem Slow Learning, and yeah. I thought that this was one where you really opened the kimono, shall we say, <laughs> and and showed some of the things that you were obviously mulling over. Uh, and for the listeners, it's a poem about the ways in which Tim, who, as you have heard, is an ex-school principal and a father and a man of a certain age, has exerted control over others throughout your life. And you are wondering in this poem, is that something that you can change? And you say, it has taken me a lifetime to master the tricks of power. Is there still time to learn to live without them? And I wondered, what? how did it feel to write that poem and to think of yourself as intimidating and wonder if you could be different? Ah, oh, one's slow growth as a person. Um yeah, I think, I mean, all, all poems are influenced by whatever our life story is. Um, and I think what's significant here is is that, that my first wife died very young, when the kids were young, and, and 
and so I entered a life where I was teaching and I was bringing up my children and not living monastically but living largely on my own. In other words, I had, whether I liked it or not, I don't think I wanted it, but I developed around me uh, a set of rules that worked, that worked with the kids, that worked uh, for me, worked in terms of the organisation that I needed, certainly worked for me in a school situation, and I have taught in both primary schools and secondary schools, where I suppose I was a bit authoritarian. I thought, damn it, my judgment's better than the biggest bully in the school, so we'll take my judgment, and all of that. And then I remarried about 23 years ago, and after a long period of time being on my own, and and then suddenly had somebody to reflect back to me um, the something about the persona I had developed and something about my... But they'd managed to marry you despite this persona, but they still had things to say. Is that what we take away? Yeah. Women find the perfect man and then set about improving him. <laughs> Interesting. Yes, yes. Whereas um, men just think they're lucky stars that any woman will come anywhere near them. Is absolutely. That, that I mean, all, we're going uh, to all... get letters of complaint about this exchange. Oh, I see. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, either way, I, I was made... I mean, I, I mean, God, I don't think I was a terrible tyrant, but I think I it's would say... to imagine. I think I would say we, we are leaving at 10 o'clock. Absolutely, you know, like, that's not negotiable. Then I found it was to be negotiated, and that gave me pause to think. <laughs> so I think that's what I was referring to in that mm. poem. And, and I suppose, too, that, I mean... I like to think that those of us who read and think and communicate with people are aware of our failings and um, seek to make ourselves a better person, and um, that's all part of that. And poetry is an interesting vehicle for this, isn't it? I mean, I find myself that um, the things I put into words for myself in poetry sometimes give me an insight to myself that I wasn't aware of until I had put the words down. Yep, yep, yep. You know, sometimes that's a gift and sometimes it's a bit of a pain in the ass. That's right, that's right. (laughs) And sometimes you think, my God, where did that come from? Yeah. And And then you think, it's so weird that I give these to other people. Yes, yes, yes. Again, I keep talking about Poetry Live. People stand up and reveal so much of themselves through their poems. I, I think, gosh... Poetry is being used, if that's the right word. And I, 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 don't, I don't object to this at all. By people who are working with younger people and the whole South Auckland Poetry Collective and that movement, um, you know, write, tell your story and all the rest of it. There's a lot of poetry being done in sort of mental health recovery groups. I've been a bit involved in tutoring some of that, or if tutoring's the right word. Being present whilst it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. And, and I mean, some of it at its worst is people standing up and saying, my story's worse than your story. And, I mean, if it's a vehicle that helps that get into place, that, that, that's great. It can be a generous tent, can't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. There's the well, high certainly. end and, yeah, there's, yeah. and there's other uses, yeah. So then my last question was about your friends and family who are very front and centre in many of your poems. Yes. With your grandchildren there. The front of your book says your wife did saying, I seem to be in quite a lot of these. <laughs> so how do you negotiate that aspect of your writing? And do you do you check in with her? Or do you think, wow, sorry, sorry, love. You're going, <laughs> you're going in the poem. 
<laughs> I, I, she, my wife usually the first person I read a poem to. You know, I write it and I leave it for a while and then I say, listen to this. You know, and, and it, it, I dread her line in reply, which is, not one of your best. <laughs> my husband says something similar to me and I just <laughs> hurl up and yes. die. Yes, yes. Oh, we're such delicate flowers, don't yes. we? Clearly we're you don't want to hear any more. In other words, she's well aware of... of of what I'm writing, um, and and thus far hasn't raised any major objections. You know, and most of what I write's a fiction. So, so um, and I hope and I hope it's also about the, I don't know, reality of relationship. Yeah, yeah. Well, twenty three yeah. years is a decent effort. Yeah, a world record, I thought, but I might be wrong. World record for me. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Very well done. Yeah. Very well done. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, just with also that, I mean, some, some of them before I've had to check out with people because, you know. And has anyone said no? No. 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 There, there is a poem I wrote for a wedding and then used it at two weddings. I, uh, you know, they're not, a little bit tacky. Yeah. <laughs> there might be repercussions about that. But they're all You changed the names, yeah, though, yeah. right? <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. So that would be yeah. awkward. Yeah. And, and there's another poem in this collection, which is about a, a poet friend who died. And initially I had her name in it, and then I decided not to. It's interesting because I feel that the dead have no rights. And this is um, this is my mother died a few years ago and I wrote poems about her that I wouldn't have written probably when she was alive yeah. and published and I thought well she's gone now yeah, yeah, you know yeah. it, it was the rights of her family that I was thinking about yeah yeah I mean, and and it's it, it, I found it hard to approach a still grieving family and say you know let's kind of open the wound a bit here so I can publish this I think oh well I'll just change it and if they read into it who it is so be it you know and yeah. so let me ask you one more question then that that brings up, which is that when things happen that are difficult in your life or yes. in the life of those around you, is there a part of you that is thinking, oh, I can use this? No. Um, but strangely things, sometimes, it's more I think I could write a short story about that, uh, I suppose. And it's um, I mean, I don't know what triggers the ideas for poems. I mean, sometimes it's just bang an event that that, that does it, and it, it, other things whether they're founded in what happens with other people and the tragedies around them. I don't know, but you know, things bubble up. Do you find that? They oh yes, up. I feel that when one has enough time to be receptive yeah. and is in the practice of it, then gosh, things really arrive. Yes. And you go, oh heavens, yes. there's a poem in that. Yes. Um, and yes. when you're not paying attention and yes. you're doing other things, yeah. none of them arrive or, or you don't even notice them knocking, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. What I had to learn was that if there is a moment when nothing's arriving, that that's actually okay, that it will return. I trust it will return. Um, and, that, and that's great. I also find, and I don't know if you do, that, that if I'm engaged in a poem, and, and working on it, it's like I almost become, I don't know, schizophrenic or something because that part, working on the poem, continues to work and I can have rational conversations with people but still this part's going round and round. 
And I quite like that. It's magical, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah. a su- it's like a little secret superpower that you, yeah, nobody yeah. can see what you're doing and you're writing a poem. It's sort of a bit like being in love, you know, where that the constancy of the thought keeps going. Yeah. That is yeah. so true. That is yeah. a wonderful thing to say. What a beautiful thing to say. Would you like to read us another poem now, Tim? I will, yes. And perhaps, seeing we've talked about performance poetry, more of a performance type one. Go for it. This, this poem is called Shopping. <laughs> long ago, oh, oh, so long ago, when I was eight or, or five, I'd be sent to do the family shopping at Tomlinson's General Store, lights on long fly-spotted cords apologetically illuminating the long wooden counter with its open boxes of sweets and sometimes even dusted and voluptuous Turkish delight. And I'd kind of wonder if my hand accidentally strayed over them whether one might accidentally stick. And the tall man in the tall white apron behind the counter would look down and say, Well, what's it to be today, young Timbo? Going to buy out my entire shop, are you? Which is what he said the last time. And every other last time. Never knowing how much I hated, hated, hated being called Timbo. And and I'd say... Please, Mr. Tomlinson, can I have these things on my mum's list? Please, Mr. Tomlinson. And my mum says, can you put them on our account, please, Mr. Tomlinson? And with a bit of a hum, he'd take the list and he'd reach tall up the tall shelves behind him, take down jars and packets and tins and weigh out flour at unreadable speed and pick up a loaf of bread still baker warm and pack them all into a laundered sugar sack we were supposed to bring back. And there you go, young Timbo, and don't you pick at the bread on the way home. And he'd smile and ruffle my hair and check my hands in case something had accidentally stuck. And and yesterday I went to the supermarket, self-service checkout, and the machine said, scan the item and place it in the bagging area. And I did, even though the bagging area was ridiculously bloody small. But the machine said again, scan the item and place it in the bagging area. And I did, I did. But again, the machine said, scan the item and place it in the bagging area. And I did. But ding, ding, ding noises started and comp. Competent shoppers stared at me, and a woman empowered by her new learning and the badge that said customer services manager brushed past me and flashed an authoritative card at the machine and an authoritative look at me and said, You must scan the item and place it in the bagging area. Oh, Lord. I want Mr. Tomlinson. I want someone to smile. I want someone to ruffle my hair. I want someone to call me Timbo. That was amazing. Thank you, Timbo. (laughs) What a pleasure it's been. I'm just ruffling his hair, dear listeners. You can't see it, but I did. And I'm smiling. A fine head of hair. Thank you so much. That was really wonderful. This has been Ears Wide Open, recorded at 201 Ponsonby Road, the open book. Drop in sometime and buy a book.